What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program. Once again, fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. If you want to help support this thing, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts cannot stress the importance of those reviews enough and what it does for the visibility of the show so if you have a couple minutes please do so and if you're not listening on apple just hit like follow subscribe wherever you are listening from the podcast is up on spotify now and i've also been dropping some monthly playlists there 
so you can check those out as well every first of the month the uh, Spotify profile link is in the episode notes appreciate the folks that have already taken the time to leave those reviews you can also just share the podcast with a friend or comment on a post any of those things helps break down those algorithms so that uh you know more visibility more eyes and ears are uh shined upon the cast so that uh more people can hear the music of uh people like my guest on this week's episode episode 291 kevin nichols is on the show i've been wanting to talk to this dude for a while now so i'm glad that we finally linked it up but uh yeah, it's, it's impactful when you see a band and it's DIY and the sound sucks and you really just get to see who has the passion and the songs when they come through a shitty PA and they still make you want to move and keep listening to their music and buy their records. And that was the case when I saw Kevin Nichols several years ago at a dingy DIY show at this place called the TARDIS Room in Portland, Oregon a few years back, and I've been following his music ever since, so like I said, it was great to finally get to uh, get to talk with him, and I just thought this was such a great conversation, and I feel like I made a friend through the chat and really got to know him through getting a further understanding of where the tunes derive from and his passion for making music, so... I love his tunes, especially his new Disappointer album that's only been out for three or four months or so, and I love talking to him. So he's currently based out of the Bay Area, and you can buy his record via Slang Church Records. I'll put the links in the episode notes for uh, for Kevin Nichols and Slang Church as well, and uh, and myself if you're if you're new to the show and you're trying to see what's up. Like I said, fresh episodes. Every Friday, usually myself in conversation with an artist from all genres of music. And uh, every once in a while, there's a non-musician. Like last week, I had my mom on for the third time or so. And uh, that's always fun to talk with her on the mics. Seems to uh, usually bring out some pretty honest conversations between us. And I also launched a Patreon last week so that is up and available and that link will be in the episode notes if you want to support that way if you don't know what patreon is it's just a another platform to help support creatives and usually by making some sort of financial donation monthly you uh you get extra content and one of the things that i'm doing is a monthly mom chat and that's a part of my five dollar tier my patreon Lowest tier starts off at $3, so it's nothing crazy. There's a $3, a $5, and a $10 tier, and that $5 tier is the the monthly mom chat. So if you enjoy those, you can you can look forward to tapping into those regularly. Also, there's a Venmo link in the episode notes if you just want if you just want to throw some coins my way, you know, whatever you'd like. Or if you just want to hit me with an email and you want to say hello or you want to turn me on to some new music or you just need some advice about your life and I really have I'm not qualified to to give advice but I'd love to do so on this show at some point so that's what's going on over here I'm also DJing at Produce Row Cafe from noon to two on January 30th so that is in a couple Sundays come hang with me 
for brunch and uh hit up produce row for some free live music on the regular thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m you can catch the uh the jeff chilton trio down there every first thursday highly recommend that and then sundays noon to two and this sunday you can catch dj kitty mclean doing an all vinyl set down there so produce row check it out links for them will be in the notes as well along with the other sponsors for the show and uh i think that's all the ramblings for this week i hope everybody's staying safe out there finding a way to uh to dodge the covid seems like everybody has covid right now and unfortunately as, as kevin and i chat a little bit briefly in this conversation it seems that uh many of these january shows are starting to get canceled which is a bummer and uh just feeling for the folks who are uh affected by this on the regular and uh for the musicians like kevin who continue to get their hopes up about tours that are on the books and then days before you're supposed to leave the plug is pulled on those things and uh yeah it's just fucking rough and i know that uh that everybody is is dealing with some sort of struggle for this not just people in the entertainment industry or musicians and whatnot so if you're going through it i'm feeling for you and uh i don't know feel free to reach out and i hope you get something out of this conversation at the very least something to escape into for a bit and hopefully you got some some good folks to surround yourself with and some good tunes to listen to and with that we are going to get in to episode 291 of the podcast. Oh, and real quick, shout out to Hayden, who is mentioned in this episode a few times and has been on the podcast numerous times over the years, especially in the, the first few years to talk about his co-founder project and another person whose music I just absolutely love and uh, formed a cool friendship with uh, with Hayden over those years and haven't gotten to connect with him in a long time. But this conversation with Kevin is is the results of um, the connection I made with Hayden. So always grateful for that. So Hayden, I love you wherever you are. Hope you're still cranking out the jams. This is Kevin Nichols with a song off of his Disappointer record, which you can pick up a vinyl copy of now. It's called Hate That I Need You. Let's do the damn thing. I can stand the sound of the void, but I don't think I have a choice. I know this is gonna seem strange, but I prefer to struggle at bay. I can treat you better when I'm wrong, but I cannot have anything I want. Seeking, I can see through your disguise. Just turn and leave me here. 
out of anything I want stoked to to chat with you i have been wanting to to talk with you for a while i think it was i don't know it must have been at least three four years ago that i i saw you when you came through portland you were on tour with the co-founder at the time and you all played this little uh doctor who themed bar up here it was it's like a very small bar that doesn't uh doesn't exist anymore very diy style but uh i don't know man there was a energy to to that performance it's the only time i've ever seen your band play and there was an energy to it that uh i don't know it was something that that i remembered and it made me want to check out the recorded stuff from your band and i've been kind of following the music that you've been making ever since that's so rad that you bring up that bar because that's also where I met Hayden from the co-founder for the first time. And, you know, I remember I brought up that performance as I gave my best man speech at his wedding. Oh, nice. <laughs> I give the, you know, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's funny that, you know, that's, that's also just a very special time. So I, I thought I recalled you being there, but I also wasn't sure if it was a honey latte thing Okay. that was at this warehouse um so i was just like I, c- I couldn't exactly remember but yeah that's awesome that you were there and i appreciate i i think i remember talking with you and and you were one of the people you know on on a tour like that there's not like too much that it's you're out there just like trying to make anything happen so like to have an enthusiastic conversation like i did with you i remember i was like yeah like see that's the little those little things they go a lot longer than you think especially when you're out in the middle of nowhere just like what am i doing yeah absolutely. portland's not the middle of nowhere but still <laughs> yeah you just really never know who you're going to kind of encounter on those trips though that's for sure and uh sometimes it is about the the smaller connections, even when there is maybe only 20 people in the room that you're playing to, if you can, you know, make something substantial happen out there where somebody actually remembers the experience or wants to continue following your band. I think that that's, uh, that's exciting and memorable. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Several, several years later. It worked. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also exciting too, for me, because in, you know, someone like, like Hayden, I, I kind of followed what he was doing from, from the beginning and, and kind of getting to, you know, follow your music over the last few years. It's, it's very cool to kind of see how things evolve over time when you get to stick with an independent artist, especially, I think. So, um, it's been really cool to, to see how your, your tunes have kind of like changed over the last 
few years from different releases and whatnot. So I thought we could maybe like take it back to the beginning, Kevin, since I don't really know too much about you outside of the music. Um, yeah. Where'd you grow up, man? Uh, I was born outside of Detroit. Well, I was, I was born in Detroit, but I lived in a little suburb outside of it until I was about four. Um, and then I moved to Massachusetts and I lived outside Boston for like nine years or so. Um, that's obviously where the hockey thing comes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, when I was 12 or 13, something like that, I, that's when I moved to Southern California and I moved in with my grandma and that was a crazy culture shock. Yeah. I went to middle school and high school through, uh, there, uh, yeah, in Laguna. And then I moved out to Seattle when I was like 19 for a year or so. Then I had to move back with my tail between my legs, and then I moved out to the bay, and here I am. Yeah, when when did uh when did music start showing itself in your life, or did you start kind of uh, gravitating towards finding finding the tunes that you liked from a pretty young age? Yeah, like immediately. Like I was always bugging my dad about Barnes and Noble because I could get CDs there, and I was just <laughs> like, "Can we stay longer? Because I'm scanning this thing. I'm getting to listen in the little thing." You know, absolutely asking for these CDs, like suffer in the witness. And he just looks at the cover and he's like, I'm not fucking buying, this." <laughs> you know, my Christian dad. What is this? <laughs> Rise against what? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I was obviously obsessed with trying to find the stuff and I was always gravitating towards like something that was like heavy and melodic. So Lincoln Park and. I remember hearing Green Day and Barnes and Noble and being like, I don't know what this energy is. Yeah. Um, but so, but was there some, I mean, just even with those bands that you named, there's obviously like a lot of angst to that stuff. And there's a, a punk rock, maybe mentality or energy to that stuff. What do you think made you, uh, what do you think drew you into to that style of music early on? Well, without sounding too cliche, I think it's just the energy. And I think that's something that like everyone tries and kind of, they try and, I don't know, describe what that energy is. It's what, like what we've been trying to do over the years of what rock and roll is. It's just that energy. It just like, it grabbed me. And I was in, I was in from the start, you know, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I want to get up. <laughs> I yeah. want to do something now. Oh, you for know? sure. Was there, there's something uh, also just, the rebellious teenager that wanted to like kind of break free of maybe the conservative surroundings or yeah i mean there's definitely the 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 break free uh and when i was in high school doing the music and whatnot it was also like <laughs> down to like my high school counselors they were like trying to tell me how like to like almost like stop doing the band thing they were like what what about the university your your studies and i was like I don't give a fuck, you know, like the entire time. I don't give a fuck. I kept skipping school to go home and smoke weed and play my guitar. You know what I mean? It's just like, like, why are you constantly trying to like square whole circle peg this? Like, I can't make this work. I'm going home. I'm going to go play guitar. Yeah. You're just like an after school special of what they don't want you to be doing. Yeah. Well, they also couldn't wrap their head around the fact that I had a job after school. They kept telling me to do like extracurricular activities and stuff for like, you know, to get extra things. I was like, I have a job 
And they were like, what? The kid in school has a job in this insanely rich conservative area where all the people just get everything paid for and yada, yada, you know? Yeah. It's also just weird, you know, like you're saying that they're trying to discourage you from doing something you were clearly passionate about. And it's very interesting from a young age that there seems to be, you know, that tipping point as soon as you get into high school that there's all this focus on on the future and that you need to, you know, do all this shit to, to fit in with the status quo instead of just like recognizing that you clearly were finding some like peace and like something in making this music and that that was maybe the best thing for you instead of worrying about collecting a bunch of college debt that was going to, uh, you know, haunt you for several years later, if not your entire life. Yeah. I mean, straight up, they were probably just looking at me like, I don't know how we're going to profit off this one if he keeps this guitar up. <laughs> you know, I don't know how this one's going to go in and be making me money by working for me and then be stuck there with the student debt that I told you you'd had to incur to get that job in the first place. Yeah, why would I want to buy on to that? I still have guilt over not going to college sometimes. And I think that that comes from like, I do love to learn and whatnot. And that experience seems cool. However, I just was constantly being like shoved in that direction. However, it was just going to be like community college because that's what I could even afford. Yeah. And I was just like, that all just sounds like a bunch of time and energy spent on something that I could just be spending it all on the main thing I want to do, yeah. all or nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to understand that though when you're I don't know, under all those pressures the of society, I feel like to to make those those leaps and i think that's like why it feels so weird when someone says hey i'm gonna say fuck it and i'm gonna go do my own thing you know it's a scary thing from the the outside perspective oh how how are they gonna make it you know (laughs) yeah and i think that that's like a lot of parental concern you know they'll it will come from the like hey like you know i'm not gonna be here forever like how are you just how are you gonna feed yourself you know that kind of thing but I I think in this instance, it was far beyond that. And it was the school being a part of that big old system, you know, and it's like, luckily, my parents have a have, you know, a mind of their own. But you know, a lot of parents, there just look towards that school for the guidance. And then that school is given shit guidance. And then you're like, Oh, this is just a little microcosm of every single school yeah sorry i'm I'm going down this this route we don't need to go down this route i'm into it (laughs) there's no rules here there's no agenda uh yeah i know i'm just like uh i'm hopeful now though i think that there's a little bit more understanding as time goes by that it's uh very much uh kids need a little bit more space for their mental health or at least i'm seeing kids be like hey my mental health is important, you know? Yeah. So, like, maybe there will be a change for that in the future. Although I'm not in school right now, so I don't know what it's actually like. Right. Well, talk to me about what you remember about, like, was guitar your first instrument? No, it was actually saxophone. Okay. But I got, see, I got into saxophone because I knew I wanted to play music. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to take this in my school. When I was still living in Massachusetts, I think I was in third grade or fourth grade. And I played it, but I wasn't, rushing home to to put it together and play it at home really that much you know it wasn't really as much of an expression thing it was more like i have this i was i was searching you know i'm searching and um my grandma got me a little keyboard that i had in like one of the rooms in the house that i would just kind of like 
mess around on and like always making sounds and whatnot. It wasn't until seventh grade that I like picked up the guitar. And then I was like, I just wanted to learn the song Roulette by System of a Down. I didn't care about playing guitar, doing anything. I was just like, you know, I think I can learn this easy ass song. I want to learn how to play this song. And then it was like, okay, I learned it. I'm going to learn a second <laughs> song. And it just snowballed. And here I am. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, did it seem to make sense to you differently when you pick that up opposed to jumping on that saxophone or maybe fucking around with the keyboard? I Probably because I was able to hear the guitar in such like an outlet and an emotional outlet like application so i wasn't listening to music where the sax and it was like and i'm so sad and here's why you know there wasn't any yeah uh, you know keyboard like do do cut do do cut here's my feelings inside it, you know it was all rock so i heard the guitar and i was like that's what you do with it naturally so that's probably why i picked up the guitar and then you know quickly learned the thing that a lot of people learn when they pick up the guitar that playing and singing is a whoo whole nother beast <laughs> it's still hard yeah i mean especially when you're like introducing new new vocal patterns and and guitar playing patterns as well and there's always like that adjustment of how do i not sing in that same pocket that i'm you know so you're so like you're often so susceptible to like leaning into those those comfortable places that you have when you have to explore outside of that it's like learning all over again yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, when you're picking up something and you're kind of playing around, you are going to go to the natural grab bag of things and like what is comfortable. But uh, I like to find personally when I'm working on music, uh, I'll just try and find that comfortable spot and then just make it just enough that I'm like, it's just out of my reach. Like I'm just playing or singing or doing something that is like just out of my reach. Not always. I'm not trying to complicate everything, but there will be times where, or at least I realize that I'm like, I'm always making a guitar line that is just kind of hard for me to play yeah. <laughs> at the beginning, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Pushing yourself outside of the, the comfort zone a little bit, even if maybe that doesn't make it onto a record or something, I'm sure that informs something in your head. Yeah. I'd like to be able to like fly at, at 150 miles an hour, like easily but I just want to cruise at 80, <laughs> but just like know that I can and, and yeah. like whip it out real quick if I need to. But yeah, I don't want to be redlining myself the entire time I'm playing guitar. Yeah. How long before you started breaking outside of learning the cover tunes and, and starting to write some tunes of your own? Well, thankfully all the things for system of a down or most of the stuff that I was learning at least was in drop tuning which was just like a really easy step to just like, oh, I smash my finger down and it sounds all right, you know? So it was honestly pretty quick. So thanks to System of a Down and Drop D tuning, <laughs> it, got, it got me going faster than I probably would have had I had to do regular old power chords. Yeah. But the regular power chords came into play when I started learning uh, in standard and I started learning White Stripe songs. And then after that, Nirvana songs. Um, so yeah, it was honestly like pretty immediately. I started writing like instrumental things with a, uh, that same keyboard that I had 
it was just like broken up and like kind of collecting dust, but it still worked. It just like had missing keys and the side plastic was dented. Yeah. But I would just turn it on and like have the drum beat going all corny and then play along to that. It was awful, <laughs> but it was, but it was progress. You know, you got to suck. I was just, I was just having a blast, just sucking, Yeah, you know? And that's how it was important. You're, uh, you're just like, I'm creating something. Exactly. It's all like, I, I had to step on every single one of those suck stones to get to like halfway decent, you know? Yeah. It's part of, it's part of the thing, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, I think, yeah, I, I mean, that was seventh grade and I tried making bands like immediately. And then eighth grade, I was in the band room every lunch, just playing my guitar and then people would start to come in and then I just like somehow found two other people that wanted to play too. And there was like a drum set in there and like <laughs> I had somebody bring their bass and I kind of just like without permission just kind of started doing that. <laughs> but, you know, people would kind of like see what's going on and I'm just like, am I hurting anything? I don't think so, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think when probably when you're that young, there aren't that many other people playing their own instruments in that that fashion so you kind of like link up with the small group of people within the school community that are participating in something like that yeah and i uh those those two people became like my first kind of band and i remember we played a talent show that was like my first performance ever as like a, a band like me in front like playing just like singing doing the thing and uh we had we had worked on like this little original medley, but we had been playing about a girl or lithium. And like, that's what we were going to play. And then like last minute, we were just like, no, we're going to do the original thing. And we went for it. And it was like, we pulled it off and I was like so exhilarated. And I was mm. just like, I think that right there was a big moment for me too, where I was like, take that leap of faith, yeah. you know? Cause I was super excited to play like a Nirvana song, but there was something inherently fulfilling about like, Oh, let me go like, present myself and present this you know what i mean like like let me show you something let me try and do something here you know i guess yeah that's the way to put it i don't want to say something new because it's not necessarily something new per se but it's something being created new yeah and it's it's your voice instead of you know paying tribute to something yeah. that's come before you and i would imagine yeah. like a part of that energy that you experience is just, you know, the empowerment of, you know, putting your feelings in front of people and putting out this, you know, not just the words, but yeah, this, this thing that you created with your, your friends at that time. Yeah. Were you apprehensive at all when you first started kind of writing your own lyrics about sharing them with people or, or did that not really cross your mind? I don't think it really crossed my mind too much at first. Like the first song I ever wrote, like the lyrics were like about like using like curtains as blankets or something like that. Like it was something really like just completely random. But I think that also came from the fact that I was listening to like Beck too. And Beck was like always like the ant hill seafoam and the umbrella under the stairs, you know, and it's just anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't really worry about it. It was as time went on and I started to 
see people pick apart different things and get judgmental myself and everything like that's what it started to probably come in a little bit more and as as i started to take things more seriously you know currently speaking right now like i have i've given myself the objective uh to labor over my lyrics like that's something i'm really trying to work on as we speak you know so um i guess that goes to show like uh maybe i should just go back to singing about curtains <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean to you that you're you're laboring over them more? Is it is it just uh, putting more thought into them and and trying to be more creative with them? Or I think it's it comes from I I am always trying to get better just for myself. And if I see a weak point or if I'm hearing something and I'm like I love how this is, or like this could have been a little bit better. Like I guess that's just kind of where I am right now. And I listen to. Um, you know, like David Berman from Silver Jews, rest his soul. Uh, he was someone that when I read about him, it was just like lyrics was his thing. He was a musician. He would play. He's in a band. But it was like it was all about the lyrics. And I listen to his lyrics and they're just like so on point. So it's more like I have this cognizant reminder <laughs> to just as I'm working on lyrics or something to slow myself down, double back and ask myself like, is this really what I want to say? Could somebody who's not in my head decipher what I'm trying to say from this? Um, you know, just like take my time a little bit more. And that's kind of, um, I have really bad ADHD. So it really gets like, I have to muscle myself into like focusing sometimes, you know? So it's kind of like I spent the last three or four years. I set, uh, I remember I set a goal for myself to really work on singing like get better at singing and get better at singing in different situations and hearing notes before you sing them. And yeah, you know, not being super pitchy. And I feel like I've made strides and I just want to uh, continue to do that. But now I've added on to the list. Let's get some, let's work on lyrics. Let's do some more reading. <laughs> let's write more. Let's make that an active goal. Yeah. Are you pretty open to sharing your lyrics with people while you're working on them? Like, will you, consult with others if you're struggling or hung up on something or is it something you like to keep pretty close to you until you feel like it's done i will sometimes share a lyric if i like get a real kick out of it or something um but for the most part the only time that i'm going to bring in outside input and like double check stuff to that extent is going to be in the studio right before i'm going to be recording like that morning and it'll probably be with whoever's in my band. So like the last time on this record, Disappointer, um, it was sitting down with Hayden. We were outside, um, just the, we were on the front patio of Balboa recording. That's where we did it in Glassell Park, uh, LA. And uh, yeah, we were just sitting there. I was on edge because I was trying not to smoke any cigarettes that day. <laughs> I don't smoke anymore, but I was just like, no cigarettes today because I got to do vocals. But holy <laughs> shit, I'm stressed. <laughs> and yeah, we just went through and just little things where I'm like, I kind of said butt two times. <laughs> Close. Like, <laughs> I kind of want to like make this just little tiny tweaks that just for you yourself as the creator, like, okay, I didn't just like, like there's attention to detail and a bit of a, in a sense, you know? Yeah. But for the most part, it's going to stay really, I keep those cards close to my chest until it's time for it to be laid down. For sure. And as far as just playing music overall, after you 
kind of naturally slipped into that that front person role did you kind of feel like that's where you needed to be or wanted to be carrying forward as you got a little older and outside of high school yeah I definitely feel like I just really walked into this role that I'm just like this just works you know however I did not see myself doing this I wanted to be a rhythm guitarist when I first started and uh also like I'm still always nervous like I'm always scared it's like I've always been like scared and nervous and like anxious and shit but I like it's part of like going out and playing is like almost like my battle cry in and of itself and then I get off stage and I'm like Woo! <laughs> you know or in in the case when you saw me I get off wet floor and move to the <laughs> wet floor to my left and double check if my pedals are broken while crossing my fingers because I remember that show and I remember playing and being like oh my god I'm seeing wetness on my pedals I hope they're not broken (laughs) but yeah yeah I I remember that show very well for some reason too and I just remember (laughs) I might even mentioned it um following that whenever I was doing a podcast just maybe talking about seeing your band for the first time and yeah, you brought up Nirvana earlier as far as like songs you were learning early on. And I know that's like a pretty big shadow to feel, but I, I think that uh I think that, that was the energy that I got out of it. Like it felt like there was a rawness there that kind of tapped into the bleach stuff, especially for some reason when I when I first saw you. And I think that that, that raw spirit to me like really continues to show itself in your records like whether you're leaning more into like some power pop stuff with hooky hooky parts to it like with disappointer i feel like that's like the whole record every song could be a single you know yeah i was trying to go for that (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah and then you but then like i don't want to die but i want to die feels like there's a little more room for you know exploration and, and maybe these experimental songs that are a little bit longer and you know dive into some different dynamics but i feel like that that raw that raw energy that spirit has has been there throughout well that's a huge compliment and i really appreciate it and yeah i love nirvana with all my heart and um that raw energy that's the same thing that i love about just any any performance really yeah i guess but i mean like damn maybe i'm just sitting here like oh fuck that was a that was a major compliment i'm shaking shaking. (laughs) well i just think yeah it's just hard to deny that type of energy when you see it you know it's very like that authenticity is uh you can't really fuck with that you know i appreciate you can feel you can feel it and i think that that again i think that overlaps into the records that you make which i think is is pretty impressive especially with disappointer it's definitely my my favorite collection of tunes from you thanks yeah i mean i definitely i wanted to you know second full length it was definitely going to be uh an, an evolution of my songwriting for sure and the years between i don't want to die but i want to die and disappointer was it it was spent with me just trimming everything off my songs because uh, i don't want to die but i want to die was 
long form, like you said, a lot of stacking elements. I wanted to hear new sounds. I wanted to, you know, experiment with things. I wanted to be dynamic. Um, I wanted to have some ambient sections and stuff. Whereas now I'm just like, I want nothing but the catchiness. And I wanted, I cut down. So you'll see in, you know, like uh, my EPs or something, you know, they're kind of shorter and whatnot, but I'm really trying to keep those songs concise, hard hitting and catchy. And they were both experiments that led to the songwriting that's on Disappointer. And, um, and it's, it's funny because that's, that's all stuff that I really kind of wrote the like 80% of it when I was 23. You know, so now I'm 26 and I'm here like, you know, trying, <laughs> trying to promote and tour the record and whatnot. But I'm over here just like, you know, knowing where it's it's always how it goes being on the delay that comes with the industry of just like all the BS behind just like, hey, I made this thing and I want to present it to the world. And I'd like it if people had a, a good go or like a good opportunity to give it a listen or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's that long time in between. So now currently when i'm songwriting i'm trying to keep my flag you know stabbed into the ground at okay trim the fat keep it catchy but i'm trying to give myself a little bit more room to embellish this time and i don't know maybe even just play a little bit more guitar dare i say <laughs> i might get a little more guitar -y, but like not not too buddy just guitar -y. no butt rock Bodied up that to your attention as far as the mentality of like let's trim the fat was it kind of you just wanting more people to get kind of ears on what you were doing or did, did you uh i don't know did you feel like it was taken away from maybe the the songwriting a bit with the newer tunes that you were writing to with maybe getting into more of these ambient parts that were a little distracting from the the main pieces i think it was touring actually when I think about it, it was playing because I started touring the that record. I don't want to die, but I want to die. And I got out there and I hadn't toured it and I hadn't really played the material too much prior. So I'm out on the road playing it and I'm just hearing these different moments where I'm just like sucking the life out of a building moment or it's just things that don't translate well live. And I really forgot about that side of it because I used to adore that side of it. Um, when I was younger, almost like a stand-up comic would really like travel around and like work their, their stuff out. Like right. that's kind of more the way I approach records now. And I like to really field test everything, you know, and that record wasn't really field tested. So I go out there and I'm kind of hearing things fall flat. And I'm also listening to a bunch of cloud nothings at the time, which I still do. And I still love them. And personally, I just felt like they were doing such a good job of just like, here's a longer song, but here's hit after hit after hook after hook. Like it's so catchy. And they even got the little ambient sections in there too, you know, where it's, you know, some noise and what wasted days. It's like a super yeah. catchy song, but with this just chunk of just noise that if you have it on in the car, you'll forget you were listening to it, but I digress. So did that start, did that formula start to make sense to you pretty quickly when you got into 
like the Getting Hard EP or that collection of tunes? Yeah, I mean, that was obviously the the first song that was written after I Don't Want to Die, But I Want to Die that like started that EP was at it. Like I had that. So that was kind of like, that's where I broke off and was like, I want to, you know, still do my sound, but I want to make it, I guess, just more direct, catchy, and just to the face and quick. And so, yeah, that record is an exact uh, experiment in that. And I, I, I like where I landed with it and I love the sound and the process and it was such a great experience. And then I, you could hear, I guess, potentially, well, maybe not hear it, but you know, you get into the next one, Long Lungs, and I obviously have made some changes, Yeah, you know? And I think that the main one you can hear is I've added on a little bit more. So while st- I stripped down to the skeleton and I've just been slowly building everything back up um, and giving everyone updates via a release, <laughs> you know, I'll keep doing that. I'll build this monolith and one day I'll die. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I mean, addict is my favorite song on that getting hard collection of tunes for sure and i i mean i think that that was pretty clear to me especially the last couple of days i i've been doing the deep dive knowing that we were going to talk and uh i've definitely been like disappointer was heavy in my rotation the entire year but it was really cool to kind of piece things together through the entire catalog and see see how you get to disappointer because you can see those those stepping stones i think for sure in in the process and I think when you put out hanging on to my head, that was this like I was already into your band, but when you put that one out, there was I don't know that one felt like there like something special was going on with that song. Um, do you remember anything about writing that song or or that one coming together for you? Yeah, so that one is actually a a closer example to like the writing that I'm working on now you know, cause that was written after disappointer, um, was even recorded and everything. Uh, I had to record it in my room in quarantine, hence like, you know, the, the drums and whatnot being keyboard drums and stuff, but it was fun to self-produce again. Cause I hadn't self-produced front to back, um, since I don't want to die, but I want to die, you know? Yeah. That song, it's just so much fun. And I honestly still think I might one day like, do a studio recording of a full band just because it's such a different experience and i'd love to do that maybe for a record or something yeah um maybe a a live something i don't know but uh yeah that's that song right there is a good precursor to the kind of songwriting and the kind of embellishment and the kind of more meat on the bone that i'm trying to present because There's the downtime, but I feel like at least I'm keeping it going. I'm keeping something there for you. Yeah. Yeah. I I personally love that song.
everybody. Just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. When you when you are kind of forced to create on your own like that do you feel like that kind of opens up different creative parameters for yourself or you're kind of like forcing a different creativity when you know these last couple years I'm sure you haven't had tons of opportunities to collaborate with people in the in the same room so I would imagine you've done like a lot of a lot of writing on your own no I I, yeah I I haven't really had as much of a, a chance to do that and I'd really like to I uh However, though, there are a lot of things that keep leading me back to working on things by myself. And um, there's a certain kind of obsessive I can get when it's, you know, something I've, you know, engineered. I am mixing uh, like while I'm mixing, I can be like, oh, fuck, and bust out a mic and like throw something in and everything. Like I just get downright obsessed and I, I love it. And it's also a little unhealthy, but I love it. Because <laughs> I just get to like get really really lost in it and then i'll get some outside point of view here and there just because you know i'll be in a a vortex of being at my own ass (laughs) playing music you know you kind of have to be to unlock what's going on in your head a little bit but it's you got to balance it out talk to your friends and be like hey pull my head back out of my ass for me okay awesome (laughs) you go back and start recording more I, i was living with hayden when i was recording that so him and uh, his now wife, Kelsey, you know, they were uh, just in the other room as I just was blaring this stuff <laughs> in my room. So good sports, good sports right there. And Hayden, you know, I would call him into the room and be like, can you just give me like a little mixed perspective real quick? You hearing this a little too much, this a little too little. Um, yeah. What did you think of those drums? Like on, the keyboard drums. Um, on hanging on to my head? Yeah. I honestly, up until you said it during this conversation, I had no idea that they were keyboard drums. Cool. Right on. Like that. No, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. That didn't, um, stick out to me. I guess it didn't, it didn't stick out to me one way or the other. So it didn't like, I wasn't like, (laughs) Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm missing something. Gotcha. Yeah. That's where I'm just in it too much over here. Like (laughs) I know that these were on this Casio and I was sweating in my room. Like, I I feel that. I mean, I'm I'm the same way about even listening back to episodes of the podcast. Sometimes I'm I'm just like, hey, what do you think about the way I uh, I cut into that segment? Did you notice that that there was uh, there was a little piece I had to remove to make this uh, smoothly flow? And people are just like, I don't know. It sounded like it always does. It sounded like you know, no one no one knows about that part. I think you should be. That's a good thing to show that you have that kind of care, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, some people want the aloof thing and just, you know, the the present the presentation of just 
boom, here you go. But yeah, I'm, I'm one of the people that at the end of the day, I just want the best possible song. I'll do anything to just serve the songs, you know, like it's, it, I don't give a fuck about myself at the end of the day. I want that song to be as great as it possibly can. And I want to, I want to listen to that song and like it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, man. I just think that that whole disappointer record is just, for me, it's like, it's the, the perfect, you know, balance of that raw energy and the hooky songwriting and everything kind of living in that, that two to three minute range kind of gives me those, those Tom Petty feels, even though I know it's like a completely different style of music. I think that there was, uh, I don't know. That was something that Petty seemed to be like the master of, of, of having these two to three minute poppy hooky songs, really brief instrumental parts, but never goes too far off the path and uh i don't know it maintains yeah. some some of that uh that power pop energy i guess well i was absolutely trying to conjure some of that power pop so mission accomplished and i i love that and i i really appreciate that you give it you know a listen in all this time of day and whatnot because personally i i feel like the record is just like entirely slept on and i i uh yeah i'm just kind of in like a spot right now where it kind of feels like everything's falling apart. But I know that that's just me kind of being dramatic because I always am. And then tomorrow I could get an email and be like, oh, fuck, I'm going on this tour first of three now. And all my buddies in the band, they're like, everybody snaps to attention. Like it can happen that fast. But yeah. like the nature of the business and then me being dramatic and emotional and dealing with mental health issues, it turns into like this very much cycle of make and break. And I'm aware of it, which is like the only thing that really helps me right now. But yeah, I feel that I feel it. It's it's you know, you get those small wins that can really bring you up. And then there's these moments that can just absolutely knock you down and make you question everything that you are doing. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's life and that's okay. And I, yeah, like I think when I was younger, it used to really throw me for a panicking loop and I'm at a stage now where luckily I'm just like, ride the wave. Yep. (laughs) Just, just go with the flow, ride the wave. It's hard to ride the wave sometimes though. Hard to get out of your own way. Woo. I know. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think, I think I'm just like, so, so, obsessed with every side of music as an entire outlet so it's like you know recording and doing all that is great as an outlet but i need to be able to confess it to a crowd via song you know like i need all of that yeah and uh so it's just like i guess at the end of the day i'm addicted to it so how like what what has that been like for you being someone that you know you you seem like you've you've ground you've grinded it out on the the road for several years and been out there as much as you can with these kind of DIY tours. So what's it been like to have to kind of shut it down a bit and not being able to, you know, do the, the field testing of, of new jams and stuff like that for you. It's been, it's been like the most gutting experience of my life. Like, honestly, like I've, I've lost friends. I've lost, like, I've had just like really tragic shit happen to me, but I'm like selfishly, like, I think about this stuff, obviously it doesn't compare to losing a friend, but I'm just like, so good, like 2020. And I know that this is the case for many, many musicians, but there's also a lot of musicians that at least they still had enough of us, like 
established platform that they could still kind of function right. without. But like, I put all my eggs in the basket of live performance because I'm just like, this is where I excel. I can't really make sense too much of like trying to be content always. Hey, what the fuck's up? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm just like, so it's just, I guess I just feel like the rug was pulled. Like I've gotten so close so many different times, you know, to what I would consider like a big break. But, you know, 2020 was just, we had three tours booked, um, you know, with a booking agent. And then it was just like one after another, like finally out of full US, we we're gonna be playing Fest. Um, and that all fell apart one by one. And it was just, you know, gutting. And then it was like, oh, we rescheduled a, a January 2021. And then it, it just kept becoming this thing where like, I just kept getting like pushed aside or like it, it didn't work out or something like that. But then it started to be, you know, June of 2021 came around and, and bands could get out there, but just the big fish eat first, you know? And like, literally just like, no one gives a single fuck. Like I was like, I booking agent, like, at least as far as I know, submitting me for avails and just like trying to get me out there, trying to make anything happen, just like couldn't make a single thing happen. But that's how this goes. And I'm not complaining. I'm just like, it is just wild to me and still fucks me up on a daily basis to think about how many things in place. Yeah. Like, and since then it's been, you know, I'm, I was supposed to be leaving for a tour in like four days. Nobody even knows about this because I don't even get to announce them. I just get to talk about them and work on them yeah. and then get spreadsheets and get excited and send them to my band and then rip that away time and time again. And uh, yeah, it's uh God damn, it's been enough to make me lose my mind, you know, and yeah. Just trying to be real here. Yeah, I mean, it's rough when you <laughs> feel like you're building momentum with something too, and and then all yeah. that kind of gets put to a halt. Especially, I mean, like this record you're talking about. You know, that was obviously you had to sit on it for a while. I would imagine if it was recorded a few years ago and whatnot. Well, we only we we sat on it because we were also you know we had like a production deal for it. So basically, like. I was approached by a producer. We played a show together and I was like, that's cool. I would love to come record in your fantastic space and you're enthusiastic about what I'm doing. However, I'm going to be very upfront with you. I have zero dollars and zero cents, you know? So like we get to talking and whatnot and like we understand it. Like we basically outline parameters of a little production deal where he'll make his money back off uh, a percentage of our sign on to a bigger label or something like that, you know? So there was kind of a, a fairly large amount of time spent just like sitting around, letting people I don't know, kind of like throw my record around. And it was really cool because there was a point where I got a phone call and it was about Epitaph and Epitaph was really stoked on it. And I was like, oh shit, like that's, that makes sense. Like this record, like it's kind of up their alley and whatnot. And then like, you know, pandemic came around. They were like, well, fuck any sort of, uh, any sort of venture like that. Like, you know, but also I, I, I firmly believe it was a good idea that that didn't happen because to be feeling the way I'm feeling right now, if I was locked into like a multiple record contract or something like that, like I would be in a much darker place. Cause at least I still, I have a lot of freedom with like where I'm at currently. And, you know, having signed with slang church, like, you know, 
any DIY or indie, like you're going to have way more freedom and control over your stuff to an extent, you know? Yeah. But it would have been cool. You know, we went down there to play a show that was showcasing for some people and stuff like that. And uh, it was all becoming even more real than I had been at before, but obviously keeping myself level-headed as much as I could. But yeah, so like all that stuff and then psych, you know, like everything building up and then psych. So the record comes out years later and I'm just happy it did, you know, and I'm stoked and I'm hopeful. And now the record's been out for four months or so. I think we're going to be getting the vinyl at the end of this month. So I'll finally see the vinyl. Um, but yeah, I feel entirely slept on feel like it fell apart but i still love this record so much encourage people to uh to get themselves one of these these disappointer records because i also feel like uh the record is is heavily slept on and anybody that listens to anything within this genre i always try to uh i always try to put them on to to some kevin nichols and uh i think the disappointer record works so well because that my friend track that opens up the album is one of my favorite songs of yours and it's it's such a killer opening because it just wastes absolutely no time and just like jumps right to the point and there's it feels like there's an urgency to it but also seems to kind of just that song to me kind of encapsulates the the spirit of your of your music i appreciate that i love that you clocked that and it's funny after the record, like, like this is now much later after the fact. Uh, and just because we brought up Green Day at Barnes and Nobles, I remember scanning that CD and then American Idiot, the record starts and it just like hits, you know, and the beginning of Disappointer is like slightly, you know, it has the thin guitar and then the whole band comes in super hard. Um, you know, the only difference being the vocal comes in immediately with it, too. And, you know, that's also I didn't do that on purpose, but. If anybody else sees that, that's shout out Bay Area. <laughs> shout out Green Day. <laughs> shout out the Green Day uh, CD that I scanned with the headphones on in Barnes and Noble when I was like seven. That I was like, oh, that's how you drop a rock song. Will I be dead?
And so I'm glad that you still had that experience of being able to like scan a CD at Barnes and Noble and understand that experience because yeah, I remember when there was there was a couple blockbuster music stores for a oh. hot minute and those were like the first places you could go and put headphones on and and kind of do that sort of scanning within the, like the city that I lived in. It was like very similar to like an FYE or a Sam Goody for people that are like familiar with those, but uh yeah, those were those early experiences of going to a music store, like a record store, mostly full of CDs in the in the nineties and early two thousands of like a suburb of California. Yeah. It's so niche. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of sure. like this window of experience that just like a certain set of people got. Yeah. Like like everything, like everything, but just it's so fucking niche. <laughs> you know? It's like people are like, oh, I listened to tapes. I listened to records. I scanned them in the store, you know. Even though everything's been pretty fucked the last couple of years as far as being able to go out and, and play tunes and just having things canceled time and time again, like we're we're seeing obviously right now with January months of all these bands, just like you were saying, you know, all right, we're doing January of 2022. January of 2022 is obviously got to be good. And now, you know, a lot of those things are getting pushed back, unfortunately. Yeah. But has any of this experience kind of just shined a light for you personally of how much all of this means to you and how important it is for you to just keep sharing your music and continue with the writing and, and exploring all of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's like it. I think with a lot of people, it's definitely put things back into perspective, but also just having been through a couple different, like, I guess, washing machines of the industry, um, just how it goes and whatnot. It has really, really shown how important to me it is to protect my, my inner artist, my inner kid, you know, like that, that, that piece of me that sits down and plays the guitar and just has fun and whatnot. And it's like you have to stay vigilant about protecting that part of yourself while also functioning in the sense of wanting to further yourself and better your life and and better your career and, uh, you know, progress and show. I mean, really, I just want more people to hear my music. That's what it comes down to. But yeah, protecting your artistry, who you are as an artist, like just not not getting too picked apart and everything. And that's pretty cliche, but. Yeah, I would definitely say just being a little, uh, it's reminded me of what's important to music. Um, and also, it's also shown me, you know, pretty quick, who cares who doesn't, you know, when actions are involved, you know, like some people drop off the face of the earth and you're just like, honestly, like, I appreciate that that happened because now we don't need to fake it or anything. <laughs> let's, let's just, that's okay, you know? Yeah, it's interesting to kind of just see how, the the scene of musicians will will shake out post this too you know i i'm up in portland oregon and i'm very interested just to see as local shows come back which which bands and which artists are actually still doing the thing and who's been kind of derailed by the whole thing and mm -hmm. it's it's just a it's an interesting spot yeah i don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I, 
I'm a little worried at this point that I'm sounding like a bit of a baby. Um, but <laughs> I'm a very appreciative of my spot in life. I'm so happy I have, you know, the team or friends band, anything that I have that I do. Like, it's not many people that even get to have a record coming out, you know? So yeah. it's not like I'm ungrateful. I think just right now being true to how I feel currently today in this moment, like that's just how I feel. Yeah. You know, honestly, dude, I don't think that you're coming off as a whiny <laughs> baby or anything. I think that, uh, I think it's good for people to hear these things and, and what the, me you know, too. The, Not everything's perfect behind the scenes. Yeah, you know? and just to hear what like the independent artist that doesn't have much financial support from a big label is kind of going through during this time because it's, uh, you know, obviously everybody has had to deal with shit during this time and, and not maybe be able to go do all the things they want to do or be around the people that they want to be around, but like you said, for someone like you that kind of put all your eggs in one basket as far as the the live show stuff and where you really, really enjoy that space, it's it's hard to understand maybe how people's livelihoods have been stripped away from them during this time and how detrimental that can be to their their mental health when they don't get to do the thing they feel like they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know... Last year, I got to play four shows, and I'm thankful I got to play those shows. You know, the first one back was with one of my favorite bands from Oakland. Uh, they're called Shut Ups, and I'd been trying to play with them for a minute. And one of the first shows that we had to 86 when the uh, you know pandemic came around was a show that I'd finally booked with them. So funny that I get to come back, do a show with them. It was really awesome. Um, and finish the show. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't drink or anything. So I was, I was sick to my stomach and I'd been throwing up, but just because I had, I was so exhausted from the performance. It felt like I had gone for like a, just like, like a sprint, like just cold call, just like, I'm going to go do running now because <laughs> I want to get healthy. And then you come back and you're like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like it felt like that level sick to your stomach kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm in the van. I have the envelope of money from the show and I'm just like, they, they had set a certain amount of money and for some reason in my head i just put a decimal in there that made it under a hundred dollars and i was like yeah that makes sense you know and i handed it to sam my bassist i was like count it up please you know like and i'm just like slumped over in the back of the van and I'm just like and then he dictates that there is no decimal point there actually is you know a couple hundred dollars in there that we get to split and right then i had realized thank god i made my rent you know <laughs> like right there right then and to like, I was like, holy shit, the level of relief. I didn't even care. I was sick to my stomach or anything. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Like I, I will make some money off of music sometimes in my life. Like it still is a thing for me. I, I'm, it's just fucking nuts. Like I just like completely disregarded. I was just like, Oh, I got to go do something. <laughs> That's right. I got paid for the work. That's right. That's right. <laughs> For me, for you, those guitar tones on that song are some of my favorite. And I think that that balance between kind of those lo-fi feels and those huge heavy guitars is, is some of my favorites on, on the Disappointer record. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was a, there was a lot of geeking out over guitar tones and whatnot. 
that one at the end where I'm doing the lead that is kind of up almost too loud in the mix. That's on purpose. <laughs> That's a statement, everyone. That's a statement. Um, but yeah, that one, I remember getting that one. I was just like, oh, so sick. And it was... <laughs> God, that sounds just so just broy in the studio. Oh, that tone's so <laughs> sick, dude. No, but really, it was sick just like tight, three amps in a row. We're just like messing around with all these different pedals and stuff. And a, it was a mixture of this like custom Russian big muff that Danny had, the producer. Um, and I believe it was also going through like a small Gibson amp. And I was just like, holy shit. So that's a specific tone that I love on the record. guitar tones that you hear like I love getting into headphones and hearing like there are actual intricacies in there and it's like we've achieved a a guitar tone that hits without being insanely harsh which is yeah. always what I'm going for you know absolutely um, so yeah love the guitars on there shout out shout out uh Danny Nogueras from Balboa Recording because he really did like get into the nitty-gritty of the guitars with us sounds in general I mean he's the one who engineered and mixed it um, yeah, so so stoked on that stuff. There's so many things about this record that I'm so stoked about, and I'm just like, you know, obviously I think it's cool. <laughs> Me too, Kevin. Me too. I'm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I could Thank I you. could probably talk about almost every track on the record. Okay, same time next week. This is a good boost for me. <laughs> it's a, a weekly. Boost. It's a weekly podcast now with Kevin Nichols. We'll be here every Wednesday. <laughs> you you just console me, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. You're doing great. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Do you geek out pretty heavy on on the sequencing for something like this? As far as the track sequence, yeah, hell yeah. I like love like that was one of my favorite things when I made like one of my first records when I was. 15 or so i was just like how do i want this journey to go and i usually try and do something where it's not too many of the same kind of vibe of song in a row so you'll usually see me kind of like the songs will kind of go back and forth if they can if you're hearing a quieter song i'm probably going to follow it up with a louder song but it's it's always different you know so so there's there's a part of me that has always wanted to make just that one long melody or one long medley EP where it's like basically one long song, but each track stands on its own. You could hear it shuffled. Yeah. It's fine. But then you could just listen to it on a circle. You nailed it, you know? dude. That's that's your record. That, be sick. That's, <laughs> that, that is disappointing. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> Trying. Trying. <laughs> the the last track fallen plant it's really funny that one started as like a drum machine like random like demo that i had i made on my computer that almost sounded like a place to bury strangers like that kind of quality like weirdness and just slapped it onto a rock uh a rock format instead like you know just transpose the things to the band and it was like whoa this song is it's pretty rad 
And it was funny recording it because, you know, like, they're like, okay, do you want to add in the guitars now? I'm like, yeah, there's no guitars until the very end. <laughs> just bass and drums and vocals. It's such a barren song. And I just like, I love that about it. Like, it's kind of a slightly jarring the first time you hear it, I think. But I just like, I like that. Yeah. Is it surprising to you when you kind of make that initial demo and then later hear this fully realized vision of what actually comes out in a studio setting? Well, I mean, to sit here and reminisce about it is a great, you know, reminder of why I love doing this in the first place. Yeah. Like to see that morph like that and to the things I was saying in that were just kind of me, like I had just gotten to the Bay area and I was just sitting in my apartment in East Oakland that was like attached to the back of this house, but it was like attached shitty. And it was like the whole apartment was kind of slumping down as if it was about to fall off the back of the house. And there was a roach infestation. So I was sleeping. I'd wake up to roaches on me all the fucking time. The babies were everywhere in the wall. If you hit the wall, like just roaches, like gnarly. <laughs> it was, yeah, I paid $825 to live in that. Um, <laughs> and I was just sitting there and I was just like, just confessing lyrics. Just like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is, shit's going a little awry, <laughs> but I got this, but I got this. Like, I'm, I'm here to do what I always am here to do. Uh, make music play music and yeah like I, that's like the only thing i want to do in life and care about doing to almost a detrimental level where i just i'm like just tunnel vision i'm like i'll do that and that's it going a little awry living in the city thinking people might die thinking they might be me i have nothing to cry nothing to push out Sometimes I could try not solo lately Sometimes I could try I am waiting Just like a fallen plant I am waiting for I, I saw that you uh, recently posted you know, that you've been alcohol and opioid free for quite some time now i was curious how you feel like that's affected your your music and your creative process as well as just like your everyday life well opiates like they're something that i mean i don't really have to explain too much that everyone has been affected by them but they just like slowly insidiously take over everything you know so for the three years that I was physically heavily addicted to them, as in like, wake up, start barfing unless I have my drugs. Um, obviously, music kind of like fell by the wayside and whatnot. And that was a really fucked up existence. And the only thing that really snapped me out of it was when uh, my best friend Grant overdosed and died. And I was like, oh, shit. I remember I was just like on the phone, like, no, is he OK? Is he in the hospital? And like, no, he overdosed and died. And I was like couldn't even wrap my head around that. I was like, what are you talking about? You know? And so that one is something where the tragedy happened and I just had to go through like the gauntlet, <laughs> like the, the, the physical withdrawals were like a hellish flu. The mental withdrawals, like to this day, I still am kind of like just my, my reward response system in my brain is all different and messed up. Like I've diminished sensations of love for like the rest of my life pretty much because of oxytocin and 
just random ass shit like that. I can't even explain it because I'm not smart enough to. I'll Google it later and maybe send you an email. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that one happened. It's very finite. It's very intense. So there's really a, a brick wall there with opiates and stuff. Like I will never cross that line. So it's, yeah, seven years away from it. Um, That's but, awesome. You know, I did it to myself. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I did it to myself yeah. and shit, ha- shit happened, you know? Yeah. I, I had a buddy that overdosed a few years ago. So I'm always, uh, I'm always very happy to see the, uh, the people that kind of get out from under that, man. I think that's like huge and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's like an unfortunate parallel that I have with some people of like knowing, knowing folks that, that pass that way. But I'm always, like I said, it's just always good to see somebody on the up and up from that. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I definitely feel as though I have like a major, major second chance. And it's also given me this kind of just like extra hell bent attitude at like, got to live the fools to each day, yeah. you know, but that kind of mentality causes a lot of cognitive dissonance when you're just in like the, the capitalist grind of just like, I got to make sure I have a roof over my head, right? you know, all that. Yeah. And I think there's always, uh, it seems like there's often a fear from, people that are using substances regularly that uh it's going to fuck with their creativity Mm -hmm. and there's that that fear which i totally get as well like if i'm if i'm okay if i'm happy or if i'm well and not using i'm not going to be able to uh produce the same music or create the same yeah there's definitely like people who think they need to be miserable to create. I was once that person, but I've since proved that, that whatever, whatever sorrowful crooner is within my soul is not going anywhere. (laughs) That's what I've learned. I've tried kicking all different substances, living different lifestyles and everything. And it's all come back to everything is a symptom of like the, the core root of it, which is, I don't know, depression maybe. Yeah. But, um, at least the depression lets up every now and then that I'm able to, you know, fucking pr- like make something. Cause like, sometimes it's just like, you don't get out of bed. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, I, I quit alcohol because I also wanted to get on mental health medication and I, it was also just like not cute anymore. Like my relationship before this last uh, one that I'm in right now, like it was just like, I was just like drunk and selfish, like the entire time, just like, just constantly worrying about myself and then just constantly getting drunk all the time. And then I got to the point where I'm just like blacking out and just like running away. And like Hayden had to like come find me. Like, I don't know, in the middle of like one in the morning in Oakland, <laughs> looking around for me, like I'm just belligerent and like running away just to run. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, this got, this kind of got to stop. <laughs> so I stopped and now, yeah, it'll be two years in April. Right on dude. That's very, it's very cool. And yeah, I appreciate your willingness to just, just share your experiences with that. Cause yeah, just, I think that's just as important as the music or anything going on with that. So, well, I mean, if we're not going to talk about it, then it's just by default going to be suffering in silence and whatnot. And a lot of things that people get surprised about when somebody overdoses or just, it comes out that they are struggling with a substance. They like, don't even realize it, you know, like people like, I had no idea they were doing this. And it's just like, let's just normalize talking about it. (laughs) 
let's just let's just fucking talk about it and understand that yeah it's not black and white it's not finite it's a process and part of that process is connecting over it yeah at least as far as i believe in recovery you got to connect absolutely and i think a part of it is just acknowledging that like addiction is real it is a real disease and not everybody using and that is you know trying to get their fix of heroin every day or their opioids are necessarily like dirtbag people, you know? No, no, literally it could be like somebody's like aunt Bernice who hurt her back and then was like prescribed by a doctor. Fuck, and then dude. like, she literally yeah. is like fucked without her medication now. So has to go like get black tar. Like that's a reality in this country, you know? Absolutely. Dude. The opioid crisis is yeah. real and Kevin Nichols' disappointer record is also very real. It's the real deal, and everybody should check it out. I'm so fucking glad that we finally got to chat and connect, dude. Me too. I appreciate this. I, you know, like I said, um, you know, thanks for making the time. Thanks for taking the time and listening to my shit. Like, you know, hearing you talk to me and tell me about like the time you've spent with my art, like, reminds me like that there are people that do give a shit, and like I'm stunned that you took as much time as you did like you've listened to my shit like god damn I, I had an interview with someone for something online and they they like led on the phone with like you're the first person i've interviewed with that i've never heard of <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking hilarious i'm not gonna say what yeah online thing i don't even know if they if they ended up running whatever that article was but i don't know i uh i greatly appreciate you uh giving me your time and I hope no, that more you. people check out Disappointer. I think more people should buy your buy a fucking vinyl from Slang oh, yeah. Church. Shout out to shit. Slang Church for uh, you know, putting out the record. Shout, yeah, shout out to Slang Church on so many different levels. But yeah, majorly major shout out to Slang Church. Thank you so much, Slang Church. Also, uh I'm I'm glad that I made this connection with Hayden many years ago because that's how I, I meet you and I'm like very always kind of blown away by by those experiences of, of who I'm able to connect with from just showing up to a show sometime, you know, four years ago. Yeah. it really <laughs> is closer than you think. People think there's this major degree of separation, but no, just go out, live life, go to the shows. You'll Absolutely. be a part of it in no time. Absolutely. Uh, I will put all of the links in the episode notes so people can uh, keep up with you and your music, Kevin. Dan, you're the best. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs> I really appreciate this. I'd give you a high five, fist bump. I'd give you a hug. Uh, I'd give you a yeah. virtual hug. Yeah, we can do it. Exactly, we can make it happen. Next time I swing through the Bay Area, maybe we can uh, grab Definitely some coffee and get a real hug. Yeah. Um, Talk we, a little hockey. Absolutely, dude. Wheel <laughs> snipe Sally for days. Wheel snipe Sally. <laughs> Where Mama hides the cookies. I had a rough hockey injury last night. Actually, what happened? I I took a slap shot to the knee and unfortunately there's just pieces of the goalie gear where every once in a while something just slips right through and i just got blasted directly in the knee and i have a a cute little welt to show for it (laughs) yeah god damn i uh wish i didn't have this desire to have pucks being shot at me but i just love it so much kevin (laughs) I have major respect for you being a goaltender <laughs> because yeah, it's kind of like you're the drummer of the hockey team where it's like, you have to be a certain kind of insane to want to yeah. do that. Yeah. And yeah. you know, like in the, like 
I feel like there's depictions in pop culture of goalies kind of the same way like drummers are sometimes where it's just like, oh, that's that's animal, the drummer. He's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's that's Mitch. He's the goaltender. Don't like and he's just like, hey, what? The, get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> Some crazy shit. I always joke that it's like pretty similar to being the drummer in the band as far as playing goalie because of the amount of gear that you have to bring to the rink, too. You know, like I'm always the guy that I have my hockey bag and then I have my pad, like my leg pads over my shoulder. <laughs> well yeah i mean you gotta have those big old legs do you ever stack the pads do you go old school oh yeah i love nice. to stack the pads i like to you know i like to throw a little like dominic hashik throwback at them every once in a while and and do all that wild shit you know just a little bit of just a little bit of flash a little bit of going for it yeah bust out of the butterfly every now and then. <laughs> absolutely dude but anyway yeah, thanks again for, for doing the thing. We end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. So if we could get the Kevin Nichols, it's a program. We can uh, properly end this thing. All right. Dan Cable presents, it's a program. He nailed it, everybody. That's Kevin Nichols. You can check out his disappointer record available on all the streaming services but again you know you should you should pick up one of these vinyls and uh check out the other tunes as well i want to play it out with the title track from the record called disappointer another one of my favorite jams from it and uh that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland bay area wherever you are listening from that was super fun. Super fun. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And if I understand her, what do her actions hurt me? And when I run for cover, I found some community. And now I notice nothing. Oh, yeah, that I couldn't be.
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.